Anyways, it's so good to be with you all, with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Luto. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Olive Tree Church. If you were on social media, you would have seen that they said CEO is coming up. I mean, I was preaching, so sorry to disappoint. I'm joking. <laughs> but I'm not going to make the joke that I was going to make. But I'm going to make some jokes that are going to fly off the top of my head. They are mostly race-related because we are speaking about identity. Please don't be offended. And I'm sorry if in advance, if I hit a nerve, I will try my best not to. Can I say what I was going to say? <laughs> so the first thought that came to mind when Alec told me that they said CEO was preaching is that to the graphic designer lady who, post, who is responsible for posting our stuff, I literally said to Alec, not all black people look the same, Janine. <laughs> but she didn't see me. So if she's watching this, you can play it back and go, hey. But I'm just playing. I, um, I understand that that stuff happens, and I know how it went wrong. It was in the dock that said who was supposed to be preaching. Um, but anyways, it's a pleasure to be here. And as I said, we're in, uh, in our identity theft series, so we're speaking into identity. And I've got two objectives today to help us shift or shape our identity more into what Christ has for us. And the second objective is to speak a bit slower and clearer. This is a personal objective, so that you actually hear what I have to say. But anyways, so we're in in this identity series, and I I just wanted to preface this this by saying again that my name is Luto, and that in itself is a whole identity series. (laughs) Let Let me try to explain this. So I'm closer and I'm from the Eastern Cape. But yeah, Eastern Cape. So I'm born in a small town called Butterworth. Uh, grew up a bit, and I spent a lot of time in the Bundus in Willowvale. And that was who I was for most of my life. And even when I moved into KZN, I moved into the lower south coast of KZN, where it's mostly Kosa and Bondo people. It's Port Edward, so it's right on the border. And so I kept my name. My name was my name for all of primary school. Then I came to DHS up here for high school, and in Zulu, my name means nothing. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it changed. And I, I could almost, like I said, I could almost do a sermon. Can I give you a little Stephen Fedick sermonette about that? <laughs> Let me try this. You see, church, sometimes the devil has a habit of stealing your identity. <laughs> Church, I said the devil has a habit of stealing your identity. And he doesn't all the way take it and turn it to something else. He just takes what is and tweaks it a little bit. And so what Luto is now Luto. (laughs) Same name, but it's been stripped of all its meaning. And is it possible, church, that the devil has done the same to you? Is it possible that he's given you love and then he's taken it and tweaked it and now you love like the world does? Love that was unconditional and now it's love that means I'm attracted to you. Come on church, I don't know if you hear me. (laughs) Okay, yes, amen. So (laughs) that's a little seven minutes about my name. And now on to today's series. I'm also the youth pastor here at Olive Tree Church. And as I said, we're into our identity series. And I just want to also like start this by celebrating a little bit. I prayed all weekend that the Springboks could win so I could actually 
have this celebration because I can't celebrate South Africa when we're losing. And so part of this Springbok thing that was so cool, one is that at halftime, South Africans are so great that by halftime, someone had already gotten onto social media and said, and if this flies over your head, I'll explain it later, but they already said, oh, well, the Springboks play so much better without a dietitian. And I was just like, ouch, but South Africans are quick. <laughs> and that's why I love South Africa. But the other thing that I love about South Africa and the Springbok team is the diversity. And not just that it looks like nice to the eye, but I, it, it, it almost makes no sense that South Africa is in the conversation for best rugby nations. Like, just no, like all other things considered, we've got like one or two like standout athletes in a lot of sports, but we don't have like the numbers of like people that come from China, Great Britain, the US in terms of sports. So it's so weird that we like ball for ball with New Zealand on like world titles, but here's what I think it comes down to. And even in sevens, I think it comes down to the racial makeup of the team. And so if you look at it, there is, Afrikaans people are both like the Great Wall of China. That's just what it is. Those guys, oh, in fact, most white people, they, they're this tall until they're 15, and then they go somewhere, they start sleeping on fertilizer, and then, whew, and then they just get tall out of nowhere. Kids that were shorter than me all of my life. I was like, I'm in the middle of the range. This guy's short. I'm taller than him. Him got to 16. I came to school. I went back home. Whew, and then you've got, um, so we've got Afrikaans and white people, and they're quite tall and big. And then they make up the front row. I always say this, if I was a high school recruiter and I was trying to build a super team, I would go to the Free State to, and Pretoria for my, for my tight five. Getting the tallest, I'm getting, basically getting the big wall of, I mean the Great Wall of China, and then I'm getting some Dutchman for the front row. His name has to be Bucky's. He has to be like short and start, and he just doesn't know what pain is. People from the Free State, I'm convinced, and also Northwest, I'm convinced they like wrestle cows for fun. It's like, those people are tough. And then you've got like the other front row. We have less tall people in the Zulu culture and closer culture, but they're also like stock, like Zulu warriors. So you've got the Trevor Nyaganes and the Bongi Bonambis and Oxenje, short, start, like, and you go like flip. They got the, boast, the best of both worlds, like Zulu warriors and like Bursienkis, for lack of a better word, just all tough as nails. And then you've got these two poles standing behind them. They were, they were picked from whatever. And then you've got other black people and colored people who are just the fastest people in the world. At this stage, it's not a debate. You watch a 100 meter final, like, you're lucky if you see one white guy. <laughs> like, look. And so that's. Especially in sevens, I see, I see, I'm like, I see what you did there, coach. You put in that blonde white guy, really tough, and, and he's just like to run over people and clean at rugs. And then you've got colored people and black people, and you just pass them the ball. Colored guy gets the ball. <laughs> try time. Colored guy gets, <laughs> try time. Black guy gets, try time. And so we've got this sick diversity that actually like makes us like dominant. It makes us almost like unbeatable provided we don't have shenanigans, but race is something to celebrate. And even in this church, I was reminded of this this morning. I forget the lady who played on keys, but I love this so much about colored people. Every one of them that I greet says, good on you, when they reply. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's just my favorite thing. 
And then the, like the older Indian ladies, there is nothing that makes my day like hearing an older Indian lady speak. It, I, like I always tell some of her, even Aaron, I'm like, bro, I just want to go live in like an Indian community just so like an older Indian lady could like care for me, offer me food and say all that. Because when they say it, it sounds so caring. There's, there's something about that accent that's just like, oh, life and life in abundance. And then there's, there's, the, there's the white guys. I think basically what white people do is that they keep everything going on time. That's, that's, what, that's what white people do. Because the rest of us, cut it Indian and mix or whatever the case may be, ah, what is that? If we're having a good time, we're having a good time. And you've got Alec at the back there checking the time. Even now he's probably waving me down. And so race is this kiff, kiff thing that we get to celebrate. Last thing that, last point on this, just talking about sports. I'm convinced that the solution to Bafana Bafana is to get, again, two Dutchmen at central defense, maybe uh, a British white bloke playing in the middle to control the thing. Again, colored people on the wings, two black strikers. Thank me later. Okay, let's, let's get on to the meat of this matter. We, if you haven't picked it up by now, we're speaking about racial identity and how that comes into the identity conversation and how sometimes, if not looked at correctly, can become an identity thief. And now as I go into this, I, just, I do want to say that uh, this could be contentious, so I'll try my best not to be, and we're not going to go too far down the rabbit hole. We want to try to celebrate more than we want to... Uh, pick fights and that, that kind of stuff. And so the first point I want to make is that race is God's idea. Race comes from God. And so if I take you to Revelation 7, if you read Revelation 7, I think it's verse 9. I could be mistaken about the verse. Verse 5 or 9 or 12. I think it's 9. But anyways, there there about John is having this vision and he goes 144,000, I think it is, that he counts 12, 12 from each tribe, getting selected. And then at that stage, when I read that, I was like, oh boy, if there's only 144 places in heaven, I'm stuffed. I don't know if I should even carry on trying. But anyways, you read a little bit further into that verse 9, verse 12. And John says, and then I looked and I saw a great multitude of people from every nation. Let me just uh, make sure I'm reading that correctly. But every nation, tribe, people and language standing in front of the standing in front of the throne and basically what they're doing is they're praising and saying salvation comes to the lord and through the through the blood of the lamb and they're celebrating they're praising in heaven and so what we see there is that the is the purpose of race or what god was working towards when he gave us race and we know where it starts it starts in babel from a bad situation and the way i see this is that god always the enemy intends something for evil and he works it for good. And so where the devil was going, I'm going to make these people try to build themselves a tower. And it says there that they wanted to make a name from themso- for themselves. What are you doing when you make a name from yourself, for yourself? You're, you're deviating from your God-given identity. And that is the beginning of self-destruction. And so in order to stop this and also create something beautiful for the heaven he wants to see, God separates them. And now we've got the beginning of white people keeping time and colored people running fast, Indian people making amazing food. We've got it all. We've got the the Khosas, the Zulus. We've got the Turks and the Indians and the Thais and 
everything else in between and it's beautiful and it's amazing. But obviously in, in the middle of all of that, the devil's always trying to corrupt that, always trying to tweak it like I said about my name, always trying to steal our God-given identity, always trying to deviate from the purpose that something has been created for. Created for. And then Jesus comes along. He lives, he lives out his life and at his death and resurrection, he sends to his disciples the Holy Spirit. And we have some time after in, 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 Acts, in Acts 2 verse 5 where they come out of this, this upper room all speaking in tongues and it says all the, all the witnesses from all the different places heard them speaking in their languages. And what happens is there are people from all over. It's, it's, it's a picture of Revelation 7 before Revelation 7. It's a picture of Babel restored where everyone is speaking again in the same language, praising United by one spirit, different nations, different tribes, different people, united by one spirit. But since Acts, we've been, there's someone who says this, he says, "If, if I know the right way home and I'm walking it drunkenly, does it make it any less the right way home? And so as, a, as, as, a, as the world, we're moving towards some picture of heaven, but we're drunken fools, and so we're missing a step here and there. Still the right way home. Unity is the right way home. A diversity like this is still the right way home. And so it's something to strive towards. And one day, not even one day, we already start to see it right now, is that we're starting to create little pockets of what heaven is going to look like. And I look forward to that. I made a joke on Friday that if heaven was all black, we'd be late for worship. <laughs> I'm not going to say the second part of that joke. You're not ready. <laughs> cool. And so the current reality or the tension that we're still stuck in is this, is the drunken fool stumbling part of it. We're still working our way forward. And so this race conversation some want it to just not matter at all. Let's not talk about it. Some, like, it matters too much, I could say, and, and, and we, we're trying to work it out. But the long and short of it, the way I think of it is that I think it does matter. I think there are amazing things about our race that make us better. Case in point, the Springboks. There are things about different people, like a body, doing, bringing diversity and being united in it to create something beautiful. So we're stuck in this tension of, this is uncomfortable. There's some things that still offend me. There's some things that still irritate me. I mean, if you think of load shedding, if you think of palapala, if you think of looting, if you think of, the, 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 the list is endless. And underneath all of that is some racial stuff, some identity stuff. And so we're still stuck in that place, but I want to hopefully move us forward. And so just before I carry on, I just, I just ask that you turn down the volume on, 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 the, on, on the voice in your head that's resistance to the message. At least hear it. And just turn up the volume to what God might want to say to you about this issue. Cool, and so just to get into it, as people were, were in this place, as I've said, where 
I, want, I just want to talk about hijack. Jesus says this. He says, you cannot serve two masters. And this is the danger. He says, you cannot serve two masters because you will love one and despise the other. And I almost want to propose that that's happened to some degree with our race. He's talking about money in that instance. But it's happened to some degree with our racial identity. That sometimes we've become so married to it that we go, you know, the opposite of but God is God but. I know what God says, but. And at, at the heart of that are some valid reasons and some feelings of like injustice or pain or wrong. You, I, so I understand, but for, for whatever reason, these things become mutually exclusive. I'm my race when it comes to these things. And that's the most important thing about me. And I'm who God says I am when it comes to this thing. And then for those things, it'll be the most. And then we try to serve one and the other. And so when it comes to my voting or when it comes to how I relate to people or where I live, in a, one is God over the other. You with me? And so we're going to read from Colossians 3 verse 8. And before I start reading, I just want to say that for anything we say in this message, can you take it and just uh, apply it to yourself? It's the least helpful thing for any of these kind of, con for any conversation actually about the Bible to be thinking of someone else and how they need to hear this and how they need to fix them. It begins with you. Take this for you. So from Colossians 3 verse 8, it starts like this. It says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on a new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. According to the image of him who created him. That's the part I want to highlight. I've got this friend, just to make this point, who says, he'll tell me, we'll be talking, we talk a lot, and he'll tell me like a faulty story about himself. And then I'm like, yuck, or like judging him. He'll be like, no, that was my BC days. He'll say that that was my BC days. BC days means before Christ's days. And I like that for this first passage where I'm highlighting that according to the image of him who created him, he's saying, BC, there was an old man. I was that guy. I've taken off the old man. Now I've put on the new man. And that's what Christ is saying here. And the new man lives according to, according to the image of him who created him. And so for you, the first step that we want to take is to take off the old man. Take off the old pattern of thinking. Take off the old pattern of dealing with situations. Take off the old pattern of, respond, of responding to stuff. The old pattern of moving towards stuff. The old pattern. Take off the old man. Those are your BC days. Because in Christ, you are a new man. And now you live according to the image of him who created you. So you live in the image of God. The most important thing about you is the God who created you. And then there's we move forward from there just to figure out who, who exactly we are in the image of the person who created us because verse 11 goes on to say, say this. So we're going 
according to the image of, of him, who, um, according to the knowledge of him who created you. And then in verse 11 says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, nor circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian. Did I say that right, Ross? <laughs> I've been battling with that word all weekend. Barbarian, I'm not going to say the next word. Slave, no free, but Christ is all and in also. Now there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. There's this amazing principle, excuse me, in the Bible, in the New Testament, where they speak about grafting. And what happens essentially in grafting is that there's, there's a tree of some sort. And you take that tree and you cut off a branch and you, you sort of do it tactfully so it's sort of slanted or a V-shape. And then you take a branch from another tree that, didn't, that wasn't that tree originally. That's a different kind of tree altogether. And you put it together and you wrap it together. And then the, the extension that you've just put on takes on the identity of the tree that it's been grafted onto. And so this is what Christ has done for us. He's going, there was my chosen people, Israel. But before that, there was the world that was all mine. And so I've, cho- I've made this redemption plan, and it's coming through Israel. Now, they were, I'd given them an identity. I've called them certain things, and I've given them a name, and now all of those promises. And now you've been grafted onto that, and now he's going, so there is no longer... The, you, there's no longer Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, citizen, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You are now one thing. I hope you see what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And then in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 to 10, it goes on to say this. It says, and now this is in the New Testament. Pay attention because these promises were for the Jews. But now he says this, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out, out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received mercy, I mean, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is who you are. Neither Greek nor Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or city, and slave nor free, you are all the same. You've all been grafted into the same family tree. And now you are a, roy- a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare praises to him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once you were just Zulu or just Khosa or just Afrikaans or just English, But now you are a people, the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And then it goes on in verse 12 to say, therefore. And therefore basically means in light of what you've just heard, this is how you go forward. And so it says, therefore, as the elect of God. So therefore, because of who you are in Christ Jesus, because of the new man identity that you've been given, the new man that you've put on, Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. 
Now, this is, a, this is the, the hard part of this message to some degree. Until now, I don't think anyone was challenged, and I think we like the message. And I know this from my personal experience that I'm generally quite forgiving. I know this about myself. Most of my life, I've been quite forgiving, so I've never battled with that too much. And that's not to make me virtuous. I just, maybe it's because I'm not, like, very confrontational. But I don't hold grudges. And my mother's obviously also got something to do with it. She's, she says it verbally. Hi, me, Luzo. I, I just let it go. I told myself long ago that I'm not going to, I'm just going to give this one to God, and I'm... And so that's had an effect on me. It's rubbed off. But as I've gotten older, there's things that have happened to me that have hurt me and set me back quite a bit. And I've, maybe I just was living under the shadow of my mother for a while and I had to step out of home and become my own person to, to realize that forgiveness is hard. And it's something that I, like, we wrestle with all the time. And so what I'm not trying to do here, because I know that this is the feeling, is, is that sometimes when you're in distress, people use the gospel to pacify you. And so it can feel that way. And then so you've got, you sitting there right now and you're resistant because you're going loose, but you don't understand. I understand it's especially challenging when I have to get up here and preach about how forgiveness is like drinking your poison, expecting the other person to die. Sometimes I like, I'm fine, I will drink that poison because that's just how I feel inside. And so forgiveness is flipping hard, and I, wanna, I didn't want to make light of it or make it like it's easy. But if, we, if, we, if we're to become the people God made us to be, if we're to live according to the image of him who created us, it's important to at least wrestle with the idea of forgiveness. And you see, this is where the capturing starts to happen, the, the identity theft starts to happen because we, for most things, like I said, it's easy and it's easy to love, easy to be tolerant in certain spaces. It comes to the real big issues where the offense is so much and it runs so deep and like you think of the, the Hutus and the Tutsis and Thickets in Rwanda, that hate and that stuff runs so deep. If you think of the, the I think it's the Sunnis and the Shiites and the Middle East, and a lot of other tribal wars going on the world. At the center of it is a lot of unforgiveness. You don't, it's, no, you don't understand what they did to me. And I spoke to a young man from, from the township that I've been visiting occasionally lately. And, and someone had done something to him and his family. And we were speaking into this thing of forgiveness. And I, even in that moment, I, I could just so relate. I didn't even have anything to tell him because he was in so much pain. And he just was so convinced that I'm going to get mine. He didn't want to hear about my Jesus. He didn't want to know about my forgiveness. He said, sometimes you just have to fight fire with fire. And that's where he was. And I just pictured the future, not just his future, but his family's future and how the next generation is going to inherit that when that person finally does something back to him and that one son finally does back because you don't understand what they did to my family. And on and on and on it goes and what they've done there is that they've partnered with something else and so often as well when it comes to our racial identity that's where it hijacks us because so much of it is beautiful but when it comes to points of contention it becomes the most important thing about us we take the offense of the group and we fight as such and we hold on to grudges as such respond as such and so the instruction here is therefore as the elect of God as the new man, the royal priesthood, the chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
what does it say? I'm so sorry, I've lost my place. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Just wanted to get to one point about that, as even as Christ forgave you, so, so everything in this passage from beginning to end, it's like he knew we were speaking about this and he always brings it back to what God did for you, who God is to you. And that's a question you've got to consider. He says, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And I have this experience all the time at youth where flip teenagers are irritating. <laughs> I love them to bits, but they're, they're so helplessly dumb. I'm young as well, so I'm also helplessly dumb and growing out of it. But when I'm tempted to judge them harshly or hold a grudge, it takes just a moment for me to take myself back to 16-year-old me, to 15-year-old me, to 14-year-old me. And just remember, and I hold that so deeply, that as Christ forgave you, so you also must forgive. And so I'll go straight from 100, uh, I'll simmer at 50 for a little bit and talk myself down just because I see myself in them. And there's so much value in seeing yourself in others and going, as Christ forgive, forgave me, I choose to forgive. And now just in, in landing this ship, in terms of put on, he finishes with this in verse 14, but above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. I just want to highlight that top thing. But above all these things, put on love. Flip, I know this is about identity, but I really, really want to land here. The thing about this, the, the thing about this love is that, it's, again, it's not, it's not this trivial, mundane, stolen identity love that's about attraction or that's about favor. Even the Gentiles do that. You love the people that love you. Even the pagans, I'm sorry, do that. But I'm convinced that there's something more to this love because time and time again in the Bible, either in the description of God or in his expression to his people of how he feels about them, he uses this word love. And it goes beyond comfort. And then you get to the New Testament, and this is the, not the only person. There's a pattern. They ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? And he goes, love. Jesus, at the end of his life, gives a new commandment. And you would think he's got so much stuff to choose from. I mean, the Jewish law it was, was written and then expanded upon by other scholars, and they added things and things and things. It started to look like a constitution. And he said, a new commandment I give to you is to love one another as I have loved you. And then 1 Corinthians comes along as well and Paul who's had this like amazing encounter with, with God and he's come, to know, he's come to know Jesus so personally. He reaches the same conclusion. You can do all the stuff, but if you have no love, you've got nothing. And at the, end of this, at the end of it in verse 13, he goes, now these three remain hope, faith, and love, but the greatest of these is love. There's something to this love. And now it says here, but above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And so in landing this, I've just got a couple of questions that I want, to, I want you to just 
Picture this for your life. Picture this for your week going forward. What would it look like? One, to walk in the image of him who created you as you try to figure out your identity. To celebrate it because it matters and to, to live in it because it, it shapes how you see the world and how you integrate with the world, but also not to be mastered by it, but to be mastered by the image of him who created you. What would that look like for, how, for where you chose to go, the people that you chose to interact with, the way you chose to respond to negativity, especially in the South African context, the way you chose to relate to people that don't look like you, the way you even choose to identify yourself and which wars you choose to fight. And above all of that, what would it look like to put on love the, perf- the bond of perfection? I've gone way over time, but I'm going to tell you just this last thing. We were having a, a, a very serious conversation last night. Just someone was asking me about this specific sermon, and we wanted to learn it. But, and we, I was going, well, there's this thing that's happened. And it's, it's hard to argue if this thing wouldn't have happened if people were more Christ-like. Or if this change would have come about if people were like this. And then we actually came to the conclusion that if people lived in their God-given identity, that kind of stuff, like individuals, that kind of stuff could have been avoided altogether. The trajectory of the world could be way different. And so it's not that it needed radical militants to fix it, but it's that it needed bold Christians to live in their identity to avoid it altogether. To squash an amber before it becomes a flame. And so as you walk out of here, I just want you to take that into your week. Who are you in the image or who does God call you? Let me just put it like that. And what does it look like to walk in the image of him who created you? Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. I'm not going to say the barbarian stuff, you know. Where instead you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you, called you out of the darkness and into the light. A united people, different but united in one spirit, the spirit of God. What does that look like? And then again, what does it look like to put on real love, the bond of perfection, as you navigate your world and your racial identity? Can we pray? Hmm. Father, thank you so much that you've made us the way you've made us, God. Thank you that you've made us uh, unique and different and that we've got all these cultures. Thank you for Olive Tree that brings us all together and that we can express it all, God, that we've got a diverse worship team, a diverse congregation, people serving and doing different things in different spaces, God. Thank you that diversity is beautiful, God. Thank you that we are united under your banner, God, and so we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus who died to graft us into that family tree, God. We thank you that the old man is dead. And now we pray that you would help us to start putting on the new man, God. Help us to start living out our God-given identities, God. I pray that as we leave here this morning, God, your spirit would touch hearts where there's resistance, God. Soften hearts and help us move towards the world we want to see one day. United in one heart, one spirit, one mind. In Jesus Christ, 
in the image of him who created us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Guys, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being with you. There's tea and coffee in the coffee area. As you go, just, just one second. I think Lutz has been incredibly kind and incredibly celebratory. I think he's done a phenomenal job. I just want to say this, <clears throat> because I, I try to father a church through these things. If you go out today, and it's still them and they, you've missed your identity in Christ. Your identity in Christ looks like, I am secondly my color, I'm firstly who Christ says I am, and therefore I see people in their individual capacity, not in their race. Friends, if there's one thing we, we can do better in, it's treating every single person we engage with in their individual capacity and not by the they and them. And so as, I, as you go, I want you to just take this one seriously. Do some work with God and just go, Lord, do I need to repent of they and them because they and them generally comes with a criticism. And it will rob you from the incredible grace that is this church in this season. There, the pastor just ending with a heavy. But may God bless you and fill you as you go and meet some good people. God bless.